0: When I think about everything that we've accomplished these past two years, despite the state of the world and everything that's happened around us, it's incredible. It's just incredible. And I'm so, so proud to be a part of of the organization and, and of our leadership team. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual.
1: The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopTal. I'm excited today to welcome Shonda Grant, Chief People and Culture Officer at the Recording Academy. Even if you're only a casual music fan, you probably know that the Grammy is the highest award in contemporary music, and that the Grammy ceremony, which the Recording Academy produces, is maybe the most exciting night of the year in the music industry. But you might not be aware of all the things the Recording Academy does, which we'll hear about in a minute. Shonda has been with the Recording Academy for 20 years. She joined in 2001 as a human resources manager and held a variety of roles until she was named chief people and culture officer in 2020. She's in charge of talent acquisition and development, compensation, and employee safety and well being. She also leads transformational change programs and serves as an executive coach to the Academy's senior management team. She's also the Academy's delegate on the Hollywood Commission which works to eliminate sexual harassment and bias in the entertainment industry. The music industry and the Recording Academy have undergone enormous changes in these last two decades, and I'm looking forward to hearing how Shonda has adapted and what she's focusing on now. Well, welcome, Shonda. Thank you very much. Many of our listeners will recognize Recording Academy because of the Grammy Awards, but it's so much more than that. Can you tell our listeners a bit about the Recording Academy, just how many employees you have and and all the different things that encompass the Recording Academy aside from the Grammy Awards?
0: well you're absolutely correct the grammy awards is really what we're known for and what we're recognized for but in terms of the overall mission that's really just a piece of what we do so the academy really serves our members and advocates on behalf of music creators year-round and you know we're a a peer-to-peer organization meaning that the the voting membership when they vote it's they're voting for their peers and we represent the voices of all creators so performers songwriters, producers, engineers, and music professionals. And we're advocating for all music people. So we do that through initiatives, whether it's through our advocacy work, educating young uh, music creators through the Grammy Museum and honoring music's history. We also help support people in times of need through Music Cares, which is our health and human services organization. And then just in June of this year, we invited over 2,700 new members, new creators and professionals to join the Academy to really acknowledge uh, their contributions to the music community. We also recently created the Black Music Collective, which is an advisory group of music industry leaders that identify ways to really help drive uh, black representation in music. And we have a number of key partners through Color of Change and GLAAD. And this past year during the awards uh, ceremony, we released the first ever Grammy Awards inclusion writer. So that was something we were really, really proud of. It was designed to ensure equity and inclusion and inclusion at all levels uh, during the production of the 64th Grammy Awards. So much of the writer really focused on ensuring accessibility, not only through the production, but on the red carpet and all of the various venues and and, um, media center and Grammy week events throughout the week. So there's so much that we do on a year round basis. I could go on and on. You asked about the number of employees. We have about 280 roughly between all
1: of our affiliates in the Recording Academy. And you've historically been in office.
0: We had been, although I will say Michelle, we did have about a third of our Academy staff. They have been virtual for a number of years. So our chapters, we have chapters all over the country and they support our membership base and they're all in major music cities. And several years ago, I wanna say we started in 2014, we started turning each of those chapters into virtual locations so they could really really better service their membership base in those areas and, and make sure that they were handling, you know, network events and uh, really just servicing the members without the constraints of a physical office. And so we had started converting a number of those individuals to virtual long before the pandemic hit. But then, of course, in March of 2020, we all we all joined them and <laughs> we all became virtual at the same time.
1: Well, I know that you have a BA in psychology and a BS in human resources management, both from University of Nebraska. How (laughs) did you know, even as a college student, that you wanted to pursue a career in HR?
0: So many people say I fell into HR. You know, that is the typical response that I hear. Yeah. (laughs) For me, it was I started off as a business major and eventually started to really lean more towards a psychology degree and after you know sitting down with a counselor a couple of times and really kind of looking at the two areas it was first recommended to me at that time you know maybe you should think about personnel and i said oh that's what is personnel what are we what are we talking about and um when he talked a little bit further about it i said okay that's that's interesting i think i I will still pursue my degree in psychology and then eventually i came back around and completed both degrees and i have to say i really I don't think I could have found two more complementary degrees. I mean, I truly use both of them every single day. And so whether it's dealing with sensitive issues or helping to coach someone for better, you know, improved performance or better performance, really that leading with empathy and active listening goes such a long way towards resolving issues. And so, as you know, when employees come to HR, sometimes it can feel scary for them. And I think creating that safe space is really critical, whether they're looking for some guidance or they have a very serious concern, but I truly, truly use each of those degrees every single day.
1: So you've been with the Recording Academy for 20 years, which is very impressive. You've worked your way up. I mean, can you talk about what drew you to this job? Were you a music fan? You know, what what drew you to the Recording Academy and what's kept you there for so long?
0: I think first and foremost, it's really about the Academy's efforts and everything we do to support and advocate for the music industry you know, every one of our entities does such important work. For me to feel like I'm some sort of a part of that, uh, it's just provided so much satisfaction. I may not be the one on the front lines dealing directly with our members or the artists, as you just mentioned, or Music Cares clients, just as an example, but just knowing that the work I do directly impacts the work by supporting our staff, hiring in new team members, that's created a lot of satisfaction. And I will also tell you, it is very fast paced and very nuanced and we deal with so many different facets of the industry that it's it, it's kept it very interesting you know we we laugh a lot in our department to say there's never a dull day never a dull moment <laughs> and also the people and culture team we're one of the only teams who really works with and supports all of our entities So that also keeps it very interesting. And right now we have six affiliates that we work with.
1: So you feel like you've worked for many different companies.
0: (laughs) I do, I do. And you know, having those relationships with each of the presidents and CEOs of the organizations has been really meaningful to me, but it's just, again, it keeps everything really interesting when you look at all of the different initiatives of the affiliates and all of the work that's happening.
1: Yeah, I have some friends um, in the country music world I always hear about, you know, how the music industry has, you know, gone through these shifts and how much it costs to pay for a song. And so, you know, I, it, it kind of leads me to my next question. Of, you know, we, we have had all these shifts with MP3s and streaming, you know, and how people listen to their music and how they engage. So um, I know even TikTok has become a driver of music innovation and consumption. Um, how have these changes impacted the work that you do at the Recording Academy?
0: I don't know that it's impacted my direct role necessarily, other than, you know, maybe looking for unique skills and and talent. But you're absolutely right. And I think that really speaks a lot to the advocacy work of the academy, that we're always advocating on behalf of musicians and making sure that You know, whether their music is being streamed or whatever the case may be, that they are getting the recognition and the credit and and compensation for their work. And so as it's evolved, the Academy's had to really continue to evolve as well. But really, I think the core of our role is to provide the staff who... You know frankly who are on top of their game and and really looking for that top talent out there and really trying to bring in individuals who are who are innovative who are constantly thinking of of new and sort of you know out of the box ideas and directions that we can go in
1: yeah i mean i think everyone's feeling you know this great resignation or this the regret from the great resignation <laughs> right. you know what are you all doing to hire and retain the top talent since you know the competition is still out there and, and you know, how do you how do you excite them every day to stay engaged?
0: We are heavily competing for talent. We really have to look at what is the value that we bring and what is it that's going to attract these individuals. One of the keys that we have found, really two things, keeping employees engaged and keeping them growing are are two of the keys that we have found, and I'm sure it's probably been the same for you and your organization, but, really, when I first took this role, which was just two years ago, I've been with the Academy a long time, but I've been in this role for two years. We were coming out of such a turbulent time and we were also just heading into the pandemic. So talk about even more turbulence ahead that we had no idea what was what was coming, but we felt that it was important to provide stability and make sure that our employees felt that they had a voice. So we, at that time in 2020, we created our first ever staff council which was a group of roughly 15 individuals all across the company from different departments. And the council was there to really provide a forum for staff to communicate, to share ideas, as well as providing a safe space for voicing any concerns that they might want to, they might want to voice. And then in those early days, in the early formation, it took a bit to get them really off the ground and started, but I'm happy to say that we have partnered with them on a number of staff initiatives. Most recently we had, It was a hybrid meeting, so we had a number of individuals who flew in and joined us in person, and then we had some who were virtual, but um, we held an all-staff summit that included various um, fireside chats with some of our executive team, myself included, where we just openly discussed topics and questions that were on people's minds that either they submitted anonymously ahead of time to the staff council or they you know, stood up in the room and asked questions and they asked some tough questions. And I'm really proud to say that we were able to address these questions head on and just really have an honest and open dialogue. A couple of other things that we did earlier this year, which I think have also had an impact in terms of retention, um, we did a compensation benchmarking study and that actually took several months to complete. This was no, no small feat, I will tell you that, but yep. it resulted in... A whole new compensation structure and strategy for the organization, and it also resulted in some off-cycle salary adjustments. And so, I think for us, we felt that it was just important that we had everybody into the appropriate range based upon, you know, market data, tenure, and that kind of information. And I think that went a long ways in showing staff that we were really committed to getting this right. The other piece in terms of retention uh, we're in the process of creating career pathways for every role within the academy. So the idea is that we want to provide staff with a visual guide of, you know, potential pathways for their roles within their departments. They'll be made they'll be made available to everyone. So if you have somebody say in, you know, awards again as an example, maybe they're interested in a role in communications, they can they can look and see very openly, very transparently what that pathway might look like for them. And so, the other piece that we're doing, we're trying to take that even a step further and build out a relational database in order to focus more heavily on internal growth and recruitment. So, someone may have a skill set that maybe we know that when they come through the door, but we forget. You know, maybe this person speaks a certain language or they have, you know, background in another area that they're not using in their current role. Those skill sets may be similar to another department. And so, then that creates even yet another potential pathway for those individuals. So it's really allowed us to focus on targeting and developing internal candidates for open roles.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. One of the metrics that I report on is internal transfer. So that's one of my goals as the from the people team is that 10% of our roles are filled internally. And it's not just, you know, in the natural career progression path, it's actually a different department, right? So that people can actually, they don't have to leave top tell, they can see what else is out there. And we've, we've done a lot of work on career paths and job descriptions, and we have them on our intranet. So everybody can see, you know, if you want to be a junior recruiter, a recruiter, a senior recruiter, a product manager, you have an opportunity to look and, and, um, you know, have informational conversations as well. And the the other question I was thinking that you said is the compensation benchmarking. We do that, and I actually have hired a comp person for the first time. Um, as HR professionals, we're used to having, oh, we'll get this survey or that survey in this location. And now with this whole remote thing, you have to think about, the, the, there's no salary surveys that can keep up with what's going on. Right. right of right, it's a role, and if you're in LA or Nebraska, two very different costs of living, and and it's hard when someone says remote because you could also be someone that wants to move every three months.
0: I also hired our first comp person last year, which was crucial in terms yes. of finishing this project because it was so nuanced and so detailed, and he's been a fantastic addition to the team. But in terms of benchmarking, I would say about 60% of our roles are based in the LA area. And so the way we looked at those people that were remote across the country was if they're required to be in a certain location. So if they're required right. to be in Nashville or Atlanta or you know wherever, then we will benchmark to those markets. But if they're not, and they can truly work from anywhere, then we will benchmark to LA. And that's that's sort of how we that's how we approached it because we ended up in that dilemma too of well, what do we do with the person working from Ohio that normally would be in LA? <laughs> you know, how do we how do we accurately look at that, and how do we fairly assess those roles? So, yeah, you're right. The remote piece makes it trickier for sure.
1: Do you have people that are like aspiring singers or songwriters that try to get a job with you just because they think that that's going to be the foot in the door? <laughs> Um, yes, <laughs> we do.
0: We really do. We have. You know, those people I will say probably don't last super long because they get in and they realize, oh, this is really hard work. Yeah. And, you know, it's not maybe not quite the experience that they thought it would be, or they didn't create the relationships they thought they may, but we do. But I will say one of our company core values is really embracing the love of music and the passion for music and really bringing that out in our staff. So we will have, you know, staff mixers. We did a a version of the Masked Singer internally, (laughs) and we had people submit, you know, without video on a performance. And so people could guess who it was. And so when I first started many, many years ago, I used to think that everybody was either a musician, a very creative individual, or a very business minded, very linear type thinker. And I quickly realized most of our staff are a little bit of both, you know, the the people that were really drawing and that are staying with us, they usually have a little bit of both in them. So even if they're not musicians or songwriters themselves, they usually have a true love and real passion for music.
1: Music does bring everybody together. You don't have to be a good singer necessarily, but you have to right. have fun with it. right? <laughs>
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, so I'd like to pivot a little bit. A lot of our role is coaching executives. So what are the, some of the skills that you focus on and has it changed in the last couple of years when we, you know people have had to be more understanding of what's going on?
0: Well, you just hit it right on the head. It's, it's about empathy, right? And it's about leading with emotional intelligence. So one of the first things that we did when I joined or when I took this role, was I worked with our then interim president and CEO Harvey Mason Jr. who's now our CEO and we put all of our executive team through um, 360s and through executive coaching and really wanted to make sure that we felt like we had the strongest leadership team possible. The 360 uh, tool that we used was all about emotional intelligence, but we just felt like that was so crucial and I used to joke with Harvey and say you're not really the CEO, the chief executive officer, you're the chief empathy officer, because I think that was heading in the pandemic, that was critical, critical for our leaders. And so I think that is definitely a shift But what's interesting is, is, you know, coaching managers to lead with empathy while at the same time creating a culture of accountability. So we've got a number of new staff members, but also a lot of staff who have been around for a very long time. They've been through different leadership and regime changes. And so, you know, with our new CEO, one of our mantras is that we wanna have a bias for action and things are just moving so quickly, I mean, not to sidetrack on this, but we know the future of linear TV is is uncertain. And so as we look at our award show and we look at how does the academy quickly pivot and define its future, that requires everybody to level up their skills, including the managers, including all of the staff. And so we've actually also just, we're in the final stages of building it out, but we're about to launch uh, manager development training. Mm -hmm. And that will be for first-time supervisors, Mid-level managers, as well as our executive team, um, and that's coming on the heels of DEI training that we just launched. So we launched that in partnership, of course, with our DEI team, but we're using an outside vendor, and we've been thrilled with them. We're doing for the inclusion labs, we're doing a 1.0 and a 2.0 version. 1.0 will be for all staff. 2.0 will be for people leaders, and then that will lead right into the manager development training program.
1: It's very similar. So when we, you know, as I said earlier, we're a fully remote company and we have been since day one. So when COVID hit and everything, you know, everyone kept saying, oh, well, nothing's changed for you all. Everything's exactly the same. You're used to working at home. People aren't used to working at home with no daycare, with children running around in the background. And so the empathy level and the patience had to go a lot higher. So it's actually, I kept saying this
0: was our new norm. Yeah. Right. We would have a cat walk across the screen or someone's child run in and it was sort of like, okay, well, this is, this is our new normal. Yeah.
1: So you mentioned earlier, um, music cares in March of 2020, it established the COVID-19 relief fund to provide aid to struggling music creators during the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit more about music cares and how it has helped artists thrive?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So music cares, the way I would describe it is that it really provides a, a safety net for health and welfare services to the music community. So it's a few different areas. They focus on mental health and addiction, addiction recovery services. So if someone is going through any kind of substance abuse issue, music cares would be that first stop. They, they, They provide support, referrals. Um, They also provide emergency financial assistance for counseling, psychiatric care, and inpatient treatment. They also do a number of preventative workshops and things, so around dental and medical screenings, hearing clinics. I mean, you would be surprised how many Musicians have not had their hearing checked, <laughs> and they probably need to, um, but vocal health workshops and and then providing low-cost insurance options. And then also, they have a human services division, and that's really more focused on basic living expenses like rent or paying utilities, car payments in times of hardship. So if we think about musicians, they're not always working steadily. And, you know, certainly during the pandemic, when everything came to a stop. So did all live music gigs. And so between March of 2020 when the pandemic hit and then July of 2021, Music Cares actually uh, helped 38,000 people in need. It was incredible the amount of work that they put in. We had people from other parts of the academy, even volunteering, you know, to help Music Cares process all of the requests for aid, but they distributed over $29 million to those in need. And it was just an amazing, Effort to watch and just the impact that they had was incredible.
1: Wow. You've it's so you have such interesting parts of your job, as you said earlier, it's so much more. You also have the Grammy Museum, Mm -hmm. right, which you manage from a human resources standpoint which offers educational programs that prepare students for careers in the music business as well as public events that give students and visitors the opportunity to have discussions with musicians and other industry professionals. So, what is this initiative about and why is it so important to the academy?
0: Well, I mean, I think one of the museum's greatest achievements really is is that they're aimed at servicing students. They have an annual Grammy Camp program, which focuses on all parts of, you know, commercial music and provides instruction by industry professionals. It's this sort of immersive and creative environment. In fact, they just wrapped Grammy Camp. And then their public programs, I have to say, I'm such a fan. You mentioned it a moment ago, but inside of the museum, they have a theater and they have had some of the most incredible artists who have been either up and coming and sometimes just legendary artists. But some of the artists over the years have been people like Dolly Parton, Gibeon, Billie Eilish, Juanes. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And it is this small, intimate theater. I always joke and say it's one of the best kept secrets in LA that if if you haven't been to a public program at the museum, it is well, well worth it. It is an experience unlike any other that you will you will see. So yes, love the museum, love the work that they're doing. You know, the the museum itself, the exhibits turnover, they're interactive, they're educational. It's, it's just a really, really fun place to visit in addition to being educational and all of the other, all the other great things that they do. So yeah, I, I, I so. assume
1: that you go to the Grammy Awards every year?
0: I do. Yes, okay. I do. So
1: you've been going for 20 years. Have you gone since the very beginning? I have,
0: but I will say you know, I joined in March of 2001, so I had just missed the the Grammys that year. And then my first show was supposed to be on September 11th.
1: Oh, wow. And it was
0: supposed to be the Latin Grammys, which had just been moved back from Miami to L.A. to the Forum at that time. And we had just attended a Grammy night event the night before. Super excited about the show. And then, of course, we woke up to 9 11 and so needless to say, we didn't have a show that year. So it was really almost a full year before I had the experience of going through a regular Grammy week. And it was an incredible experience. But yeah, it took me a full year of hearing about it, listening about different events and just you know trying to learn about it. But then until you really go through it, it's hard to really kind of piece it all together until you've experienced it.
1: Uh, I've been asking a lot of folks this question lately because I am an avid reader. And every time I started to talk to people about books, I got all these amazing ideas of things I had never heard of. So now I have a big long list on my Goodreads. So (laughs) I would love to know if there are any books that have positively impacted your leadership or things that are work-related that you have shared with folks on your team to read.
0: Definitely. Um, I would say the the first one that really comes to mind is a book called Nice Girls Still Don't Get the Corner Office. I don't know if you've heard oh, it. Oh, wait, of I don't know that one. Well, I know it's a funny title, but it really focuses on the common mistakes that women make in the workplace that are holding us back. And when you read through it, you kind of go, oh, no, yes, I do that. Oh, I do that, too. Um, but what's great is that it starts with sort of a self-assessment, which helps you to identify the behaviors that may be holding you back or even just causing you to plateau in your career, I started reading, I don't even remember how many years ago, several years ago, but what's great is then it provides coaching tips. It is just incredibly insightful, it's empowering. It really strikes the right balance to help you navigate some of these mistakes, but still while being your authentic self. If you haven't seen it or heard of it, I would highly recommend it.
1: We're doing that today. (laughs) (laughs) So Shauna, this has been an awesome conversation. So I just, I have one last question for you. What has been your proudest moment as a leader?
0: That is a hard question because I think identifying one specific moment is really hard. But when I think about the the current role that I'm in, and it is a role that I am honored to be in, I think that it's really about these past two years and everything that we've been able to accomplish as an organization, frankly, despite everything we've been through. We've had two shows that have been impacted by COVID I feel like we've come out stronger as an organization. As we talked about earlier, we were able to pivot really quickly to working completely virtually. You know, when I moved into the role, not only was the pandemic about to hit, but we were going through a regime change at that time. And so we have had, since then, We've had lots of firsts, and they may not be firsts for other organizations, but they were firsts for us. So, we've created, just as an example, company core values. We relooked at our, you know, purpose, um, which goes hand-in-hand with our mission statement. That didn't change, but really looking to tie that all together. Uh, we also formed our first staff council, as I talked about earlier, uh, a new strategic plan. We've recently imp- implemented company-wide OKRs for the first time ever we 2 months into the pandemic hired our first DEI officer and you know DEI is something that has just become you know frankly embedded in everything that we do it's always been embedded in human resources and in the work that we do in people and culture but i think as an organization that is an area that i am so proud that we have grown and developed I know I'm not answering your one specific question, but it's just when I think about everything that we've accomplished these past two years, despite the state of the world and everything that's happened around us, it's incredible. It's just incredible. And I'm so, so proud to be a part of of the organization and, and of our leadership team. Sounds like it.
1: Well, Shonda Grant, Chief People and Culture Officer at the Recording Academy, thank you so much for your time and insights today. It's been a great conversation. You as well, Michelle. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptell.com/insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.